Welcome back to SideQuest, episode 11, and today we kick off the, the beginning of the end of our first segment on SideQuest uh, with the work of Hayao Miyazaki. And again, we're joined by Mr. Wesley Chance. Mr. Wesley Chance, welcome. Good to be back. And so it's so funny that we would have been watching a movie, The Wind Rises, about the inherent imperfections in any artistic task because right at the beginning right during our pre-show uh talk today we we determined that we've actually left one movie out <laughs> of our list by Hayao Miyazaki um his very first work uh you know uh the castle of Cagliostro that I know we both agreed as a loop on the third we really like but it seems like this is the conclusion this is the appropriate movie to end on we've got Final Fantasy 7 to play uh we know that the flathead uh, the flathead screws would be better, but we just can't go back that far in our <laughs> design. Yeah, I like the I like that they uh, they sort of split the difference on that one, right? Like it's it's not going to happen on this plane, but on the next one, we'll integrate. Right, it. and I, I felt improving. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like that. So so much of that was I would say that that was like sort of the positive half of the message about the artistic creation yeah. that we got in this story. As we, so in this story, just to lay a couple things out, um, uh, we follow a male protagonist, and this is of course Hayao Miyazaki's last movie, which he knew to be his last movie. Which I was suggesting to you via text yesterday meant that this is sort of a retrospective on his career, as symbolized through another young artist, uh, mm. a, a young artist's career which I would provide evidence for being the idea that Jiro, the young, the young engineer who we follow throughout this, follows his own ideal, a uh, Japanese, or excuse me, an Italian um, uh, named Cabroni, who is himself a, an engineer for uh, an Axis power that will mm. lose a war uh, uh, through his designs. And so that there's, um, there's sort of the notion running through there that what one does as an artist is not complete the picture, but add something for the moment, which is going to perfect an imperfection or improve on an imperfection, slowly move forward, but not yeah. be the final solution. Um, yeah. to, to just be a part of the chain, which, you know, just sort of interesting is that near the very end of this movie, when, when we see Jiro and Cabroni talking about their time in the sun, about to go off into wine, we, we see a scene that we'd seen before in another airplane movie uh, with an Italian pilot. Um, we, we see the, the like great chain of, of planes in the air yeah. and the, the pilots driving them sort of, sort of if you take a plane in the air, like a thought in the mind, hmm. suggesting that what these engineers bring into the world is that which is not the physical object which they create, the plane, but the next step in the puzzle towards that which humanity is ultimately creating as if yeah as if we are expanding our known territory um because we're psychic beings not simply physical which we've talked about quite a bit of time you have a field of study you know this is your area uh okay. and and so that what what these artists seem to produce and perhaps this is what Hayao Miyazaki is trying to suggest is that you do both the biggest thing in the world, which is expand known territory to humans, but also a very small thing because your, your change is only going to be a very small part of a very giant tapestry. And, and also, even though the act of creation is, of course, the most liberating, beautiful um, thing that exists, which we see even in the beginning of this movie with the dream of going on the multicolored uh, plane and flying around and everybody's in awe. Yeah. Um, but that it's also tinged by the tragedy that everything that you work for will eventually fall apart at some point that your you know the love of your life may die of tuberculosis because humans are imperfectly uh, designed or rather not designed to be forever just like art art is made or engineering at the least is made for the situation and art has to use mm -hmm. the skills of the situation but also ultimately Jiro though he's such a talented engineer makes so many innovations and is well-regarded everywhere he goes, the last thing he says to Cabroni is that not one of his airplanes mm -hmm. returned, that ultimately it was all destroyed. Yeah. And, well, Which I don't is, know. Yeah, go on. That's what um, Caproni had sent to him in the beginning, right? Like none of the planes came back for him either. So it's sort of, in a way, the, the ending of the movie mirrors the beginning 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference, I think, is that uh, Naoko is there at the end, right? Like she, yes. she's yes. present. Uh, she's not even a thought in his head at the start when he's a when he's a, when he's a kid. Um, oh, so I think, oh, wow. Yeah, I think there's too because Caproni's whole family. It's it's a lot like Porco Rosso. His whole family's on the plane now, and they're all flying uh, up together. Um, it, the the dreams in the movie are so interesting. Like it's it's him dreaming about being in Caproni's dream, or yes, or they share are, a dream. Yeah, are they actually are they actually both dreaming the same thing, or is it sort of uh, this this bigger uh, dream of like you say Miyazaki sort of placing himself in the movie in a way and and showing us that that shared vision it it reminded me a lot of Kiki's delivery service the um the painting of the the the, the flying horses and everything ah uh, yes yes another piece of um oh oh my goodness as a as a as a poetry teacher oh ekphrasis is what it is when yeah. a beautiful piece of represented in art yes. um as itself a symbol of the work of art that is <laughs> expressing itself. And yeah. so yeah, that ekphrasis in, if it can be appropriately called in film. Yeah. I think that the idea there is like each work of art or each uh, technological innovation or whatever it is, uh, serves as yeah, a touchstone of, of inspiration for the next mm. generation or, or someone much further removed than that even. Um, and it's these little sort of, uh, chance things right like because he just sort of like sees that article about Caproni in in the flight magazine right or the the uh, the paper at school and and then he, he like he has this dream so it's something that it's not it's not entirely like rational but right. these little little moments that sort of get picked up and elaborated um and it's the the fishbone remember the yes. fishbone that he had yeah so it's like all of this stuff is out there um in some in some form uh and just kind of waiting to be pieced together oh and the and the schubert song that plays out yes. of the, um, the window right so you're like there's always i guess just more more to discover more to find uh the the themes there of, of travel of flight of uh different languages which is pretty insistent in the movie and of, oh. of nature itself yeah and also what I think you're getting at there is sort of representation of the non-rational way by which we, we start to understand the patterns of our existence, right? Mm-hmm. So, so even though he's a brilliant engineer, Jiro, he knows Schubert, he knows high you know, German music, he knows French poetry, the wind <laughs> is rising, so we must live. He, he has a dream about an Italian uh, <laughs> uh, engineer. He, he knows a German folk song, later on he's he's extraordinarily cultured as an individual and often we see him staring at nature or just playing around with a mackerel bone or just dazing away or dazing off and he's not lazy because it's it's as if intuitively what he's doing is um imagining or fumbling through the patterns that he has observed in nature and in art and trying to produce something within his own domain based on them Mm-hmm. And that that's part of what the act of creation is. It is it's first developing a vision based on principles that co- that work within reality. Um, and whether that and that potentially that pattern in the sort of consilience way we've been talking about in E.O. Wilson's idea could be, say, reflected not only in, say, the pattern of, say, a tree, but or, and, you know, so like fractals, for example, like the growth of the growth of the um, of a, a conch shell as, mm-hmm. as a small example, as opposed to say the growth of the galaxy, which is also a giant um, pattern. Uh, that itself suggesting that there are finite patterns in existence, which um, like our brain's structure, potentially exist at different levels of analysis and largely what an inventor does who is going to bring something into reality that works be it a plane or something else, has to uh, catch on to those patterns, yeah. has, to sort of, has to sort of be looking for them specifically because they're invisible, of course, and like start making connections between things and to see that the connections between seemingly disparate objects in the world are that they seem to uh, exhibit a fundamental shared pattern. Um, mm-hmm. And just to add that to what you said, about the idea of um, 
the work of art as a whole being sort of a tapestry or a dream. I, I would say that I weigh in on the side of believing that Caproni and Giro, why they meet in a dreamscape together and then eventually see each other's dreams together there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in fact, get to see Giro's dream when it's still undeveloped, which I thought was, was a, was fascinating because that is, it, it, you are like Dante suggests with Beatrice and Dante, the, uh, an artist is measured by the, the art, the level of articulation of his dream. So the more general your, your dream is, the more general an artist you are, the more articulated and unique and differentiated it is, the better an artist you are, the better the dream manifests in reality. And in fact, we know that as teachers of literature, you have to have a very specific topic. Mm -hmm. But what I think is ultimately super tragic about this movie, but is also super beautiful on the other end, is that what joins Cabroni and Jiro together is their dream mm -hmm. of creating better flight. Though also the tragedy of that dream that they are going to create destruction machines that doomed men are going to fly on to do doomed mm. missions, which are going to estrange and destroy their own countries. Um, and that there's yeah. little, yeah, go on. Well, I guess the, the tragic element of that is, I thought really is touched really very lightly in the movie, actually. Like it's certainly there. And this movie more than any other seems to depend on a certain amount of knowledge of the historical context to, um, to really feel quite how uh, how profound that is, um, but the uh, the way that it's mirrored in his relationships, I found quite interesting too. Because he um, he's so dedicated to his work, right, that he practically has no like social graces whatsoever. <laughs> he, he, uh, Doesn't eat the like, right food. Yeah. Right. Sponge right. cake and cigarettes and no girls and yeah, go on. And, and yet, and yet he's, um, and yet he is kind of graced with, uh, these wonderful relationships, right? He's got a good friend. He's got his sister. He meets the girl and, uh, wins her, wins her over. Um, and she basically sacrifices herself to be with him. Mm -hmm. Um, just as he, in some ways, sacrificing, himself uh to to follow his his dream you know whatever the cost um and whatever the consequence uh so I, I thought that the kind of the tragic element is is there but um the way that it's is shown is is quite delicate uh and not not real um i guess like a, a grave of the fireflies kind of thing where it's like much more forceful I agree. I, I don't think that the tragic element is in there to to show the heavy-handed uh, nature of reality, but or but rather to accentuate the beauty of the production itself mm -hmm. and the characters within it. That it is because of their finitude and sort of like the beauty of their character and soul and their sacrificing natures that makes it the the tragedy is plays second fiddle to the beauty of their beings. And their contributions to existence. For for example, Cabroni making these beautiful uh, these beautiful planes, and then well, but more I think of Jiro's wife, uh, who who, mm -hmm. who leaves him precisely in order to leave him with the beautiful memory of herself, mm. so mm. that he has access to that and that alone for the rest of his life of her loving him till the end, yeah. essentially. And so though. Though the tragedy, uh, what makes me cry during that moment is not thinking that existence is unfair, but mm. understanding that it is precisely because of those bounds or boundaries and limits on our existence, which when we're young, we see as unfair, mm. that, that, that allow for us to, to play the most beautiful melody of our being, mm. uh, to sound the tune that we're meant to. It, it, it just, something about this movie strikes me as as all the world's a stage mm -hmm. and that what it's trying to show us is that so much of existence is playing your role as well as you possibly can regardless right. the role of that you're given yes yeah. whether it's husband or brother or brilliant engineer or, <laughs> right. or tuber the tuberculosis ridden wife 
a brilliant uh, engineer, you know. Um, the, so, uh, the, way, yeah. the, the way that I see that, too, is with the, um, the natural disasters, uh, mm. be they big or small, that, that happen periodically. In the, right? So you got the, the earthquake, of course, uh, which in a way brings them together. Yes. Uh, and, then the, and then the gusts of wind and the uh, yeah. rainstorms that catch them out. You know, it's like there, there, isn't, there isn't exactly, exactly an intention there, um, but in our, in our re response to those things, it's where our, our own intentions are sort of, as you say, like limited or, or bounded by um, the, the what is of, of nature. Um, right, right. And in fact, he's even described as our hero by Kinu the servant uh -huh. and the wife. I'm forgetting her name for this very moment. What was the name of Jiro's wife? Uh, Naoko. Naoko. Yes, of course, Naoko. And so what he, he does seem to embody what the hero is. And, you know, just to connect to what you're saying, it seems that what it is that a human can be because of the bounds of natural catastrophes and tragedy is a hero. The person who transcends the situation and helps to fix what has gone wrong or to improve what has decayed and no longer serves. That he, he, puts, he puts Kinu back together and on his back in the same way that he puts Jap Japan yeah. back together and on his back and brings yeah. them into the future. Um, that he's a hero not only within his own personal life, but he's a cultural hero as well due to his cultural achievements. And again, suggesting the patterns of existence, right? Precisely yeah. what makes him a hero to his people is what makes him a hero or a good friend to his friends. And even strangers at that point will eventually become, you know, a stranger who will eventually become his wife. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, um, the way that the, the, the scene is set, uh, yeah, with people sort of still wearing the traditional dress and then others, others uh, with their uh, Western-style clothes. Um, I found that very, very interesting, uh, and again, really um, different from the rest of uh, of the works that we've been kind of watching, which are set in the more fantastic sort of um, setting or or uh, world. Um, and I guess that there is a certain problematic element to it as well, because he's after all designing warplanes and the obviously the uh the dreams that he has um for all that they are peaceful are are put to this nefarious end um simply by his his situation by where he is and when he's living mm. um and that that seems to be something that the movie again takes on um sort of directly but in in a in a in a sort of graceful and not in your face kind of way um, invites you to, to see from this sort of bigger perspective, how, how that fits into a much longer, longer term um, and much more positive kind of uh, historical development and technological development, artistic development. Um, I found it really interesting that that's where Miyazaki decided to, um, to go in his final film uh it's it seems like a way for him to um touch on a, a more challenging subject matter uh it could be partly a bid for kind of historical um importance in his own right you know like to, yes. to suggest yeah. that the, there's like a, a gravity to uh his work or something like that yeah, yeah. Well, and also just, I mean, to pick up on the theme of a transition of culture and influences from outside, we we've seen that in sort of different guises in other works, right? Mm -hmm. Like in Spirited Away, the people on the train that look mm -hmm. sort of like American people with the, the sort of flat hats that come forward from sort mm -hmm. of like the 20s and 30s and Porco Rosso, where we have an Italian represented and also an American Curtis. And so even the fact that these sort of influences appear in the art of Miyazaki seems to suggest to me that what he represents in his art is the changing world in which he exists where new influences and techniques are entering into the, the, the people's psyche, the Japanese people's 
psyche in that um, the transformation is already happen happening regardless of what the traditionalists want because <laughs> the world is so far ahead in the ways that it is. That, uh, so that's something he represents too, just the poverty of the Japanese people uh, 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 at the time when they're building before World War II. And, um, and the fact that they're, they're so many years behind the Westerners and they're working so hard and so to, to catch up, to play catch up, and, and that they have to go draw influence from the Germans and then right. from others and, and just recognize their utter superiority and be treated like second class individuals, but to also have the humility necessary to see the beauty in the art of these other people. I think that's what Jiro shows too. Why does he know French? Why does he know German? Why right. does he study German uh, planes? Because that which is art, that which is artistic, that which is transformative transcends culture. Mm. And that what he must do is not only transcend his cultural material limits and their economic limits, but but even their their per their pers their perspectival limits, they must be able to see past themselves, and they must be humble enough to take from others. And I f I feel like that's sort of like what our project has been, right? Because this is on the history of Western thought that we post all of this, and 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 who are we talking about here? A Japanese director. Mm. And so, right. you know what 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 gives exactly? And yeah. So, I mean, what, what gives Mr. West a chance? What do you think about that? I mean, I have my own ideas, I suppose, but your yeah. ideas are all the more interesting. Well, I, I guess the, the idea of the side quest itself like comes out of um, all the, uh, the role-playing games, the video uh, games. You hmm. know, so, and those two uh, are a kind of interesting mashup of Western-style uh, technology and and scientific advances uh appropriated used and perfected by japanese uh creative uh, uh, talent and storytelling um and and so the idea of the side quest right is that you've you've got this kind of uh larger world saving mission um and yet because it's a game after all all right it's supposed to be fun and so there's there's much more to it uh where you can go and explore the world that's been created um, that you're busy saving. You can explore its kind of nooks and crannies and find uh, things that are off the beaten path. And so the way that I, th I think about that with this project is like, there's all these uh, awesome works of art and culture, uh, films, video games. Uh, we're going to do final fantasy seven next. Um, you know, who, who knows what all is out there. And it's a matter of, um, seeing how those things uh, fit into and feed into the, uh, the, the whole larger like thrust of a life or something like that, right? Yes, like a, a, a larger story. Yeah. It's yeah. as if what we're trying to find, and Final Fantasy VII, I didn't even realize what a great segue this is. I mean, Final Fantasy VII is explicitly a Japanese creation using uh, German and Nordic mythology, like Nib Nibelheim, Midgard. Middle world, and and even the characters look very Anglo. I mean, the 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 top character is a blonde, blue-eyed. Cloud is a blonde, blue-eyed individual, mm -hmm. um, who, for all intents and purposes, looks very Western European. Um, and th that's actually a very interesting thing to talk about with the Final Fantasies, as the characters have gradually become more Japanese-looking as graphics have improved. So. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there is a tremendous admixture in this next piece of work we are going to be looking into. It's as if it, it's as if we've started digging up a colossal skeleton that reaches along the entire world, and like <laughs> we found a femur here and a hand there uh, out in Japan, and it's like we were like, well, the hand looks nothing like the femur, so they can't be connected in any way. Mm. But then what we found is a rib cage somewhere. So, and I don't mean that the stories were necessarily transmitted to each other uh, physically, but that there might be, say, a phylogenetic chain along which the, the structure of stories uh, develops. That perhaps as people develop as psychic beings that live in four dimensions, that means time, so does their narrative develop along a certain line in a certain, in a certain way. And, so, and this is a point that Westworld is trying to make, and 
and, and with uh, Jonathan Nolan, and in particular in the second season, there'll be two characters who meet each other who come from one in the West and one in the East and they share the same scar. Cool. Right. And so it's like what we're trying to find is not just the specific mythologies of different cultures in an anthropological way with that focus, but whether we're trying to find a general structure of story throughout all the new media mm-hmm. and the old media and to see the artists who are alive now and have recently been alive and how they manifest the struggle to comprehend that or to represent that in art. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, um, the character. He's, he's kind of a minor character, but you notice him right away when he pops into the, um, the sanitarium is uh, they call him Castorp, right? Yes. Uh, the, the German, the German exile uh, who seems to know, you know, some sort of espionage like stuff, you know, he's sort of hiding out there and then, um, rather abruptly disappears one day. Um, but in the meantime, he starts to tell them um, about the, uh, the kind of amazing opportunity that they have, and yet at the same time, how, how fragile and how fraught it is. And he's this kind of spirit of like carpe diem almost that sort of uh, uh, appears when, when uh, our hero Jiro and Naoko are starting their um, romance in earnest really there uh, and, and how you know, how, how fleeting that really is, how um, ephemeral that kind of peace uh, is, seems to be. Um, he, he's such an interesting uh, uh, character, and I like that um, he references the Magic Mountain, and I don't remember much from that, but I do remember that towards the end of that book, there appears this character who's sort of, sort of like that. He's, he's, we first see uh, Castorp eating this, like, giant leafy salad thing, right? <laughs> yes. And, and this, this image of um, of sort of taking in, ingesting, and um, appropriating, right, is and is really reading the newspaper at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so getting getting stuff from everywhere, right? Getting from nature, getting from other people. Um, yeah. So if you read the book, like towards the end, there's this character who appears who's just like this spirit of um, of like. Uh, plenty or something like that uh, who sort of presides over the the final third or so of the book. Um, and I think that there's something really, uh, really cool about that. Cause we see, you know, Jiro so, so little engaged with the body um, in many ways, uh, but there, you know, he's, you know, brilliant at making little, little paper airplanes and whatnot. But, um, but there's also this aspect of like uh, fully, fully uh, engaging with with nature and with um, all that there is out there to to learn from to uh, to make part of yourself or something like that um, right and, and and also like just as cabroni as a man from another culture who shares in the same dream with uh, with uh, Jiro in the first place we have here a, 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 in, within the narrative himself a real character who is German. Who, who understands that his country is in a very similar position to Jiro's country, too, yeah. that they are both doomed if they follow the same course, but, but also what they share beyond the fact that they're nationals of doomed uh, uh, places is that at this, at this sort of campsite, this place of respite, this fire to warm themselves around, they can still find a meaningful relationship in the midst of it all. E- even when the Finn... Even when the wind is rising, which I take to be a metaphor for when things are getting worse, hmm. when chaos is starting to knock on the door and right. uh, things are going to change rapidly and destructively, that is precisely when you must live. And I mean, the big, the big symbol of that, I think, was when we, we, had, we had the Italian engineer speaking through dream during the fire after the earthquake directly to Jiro saying, is the wind rising now after <laughs> this giant earthquake that's burnt, you know, destroying everything. And yeah. you know, the, the answer is yes. And I just, again, like you said about the light touch of tragedy, and I'm not trying to, 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 to give short shrift to my favorite character who was performed by Werner Herzog all the better. And who I think is very, hermetic slash Mephistophelian. That's a hard mm-hmm. adjective to say. Mephistopheles, but there's an extra ad, uh, uh, syllable in there. Um, but, um, oh, sorry, losing what I was saying there. Uh, 
always wants an episode. Julian, uh, that you're not trying to downplay his his tragic element or something like that. Okay, right, 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 right. The tragedy of the situation that they find themselves in broadly, and I guess this also adds to the side quest element, that they find themselves on a side quest, but in mm-hmm. that side quest, they find some ultimate meaning. That maybe mm-hmm. the idea is there is no such thing as a side quest, that there are just quests, yeah. and that you are never taking a break from life, and you are never not exposed to the patterns of meaningful existence. It is, in fact, during the side quest that he finds what? A, a friend in Germany who tells him exactly the situation which he'll find himself in so- at some point and trust across national borders with a man who seems to be very similar to him, though very different in other ways. He finds a girl who's he met in the past who's going to marry him, and he also sort of gets the initial inspiration for his ultimate mackerel bone design. Um, <laughs> it's like how William James says, you can't take a moral holiday um, mm-hmm. like in discussing holidays or, or like, when do you get to take a day off, as it were? And um, the, the answer seems to be, even, even when you think you're taking a day off, you're not. Right. You're, yeah. you're still, yeah. For all, for all the, the light touch, yeah, it's, it's clearly a movie that has a, um, a serious uh, pretension or, or intention to, um, to, to, great, uh, to greatness or something like that. You know, it's a, a bid for a, um, a fresh perspective on a painful and uh, not super distant period in the in the country's history, and a point of, of kind of uh, flex between an old way of, of life and a new way of life, um, a, a harrowing um, series of, of sufferings that had to be gone through, and maybe like most interestingly, like the way that that can be represented um, with a balance of of humor of comedy um and and pathos of of the the suffering of the characters like yes it's such an it's such an interesting i still you know wonder about this as a as a conclusion to uh miyazaki's career and in some way like the consummation of of his different projects um (laughs) in this film uh i yeah i know i kind of was was wondering about this last time as we were looking forward to this episode um, on the wind rises. So, I, I guess what kinds of uh, trajectories or um, tendencies do you see going on in this one that make it a fitting end to his his work? Well, I think if we look at um, the works of Hayao Miyazaki, the work that came do- before this was Ponyo and before that Howl's Moving Castle. And when we're talking about Ponyo and Howl's Moving Castle particularly, we, we noted that they seem to be the most fantastic, the least narratively driven, the most visually stunning. And to, the most the ones that, when we were having conversations about them, it was essentially giving archetypal ampli- amplifications of the figures within and the situations within the text, right? We're like, uh-huh. we see the great mother here and we see the great father trying to serve her and we see the one archetype is greater than the other in all of this. And, and right. so the works directly preceding this were highly fantastic. And then we have this, even though dream is a giant part of this work, so there's a, a strong interplay between what is real and what is dream, mm-hmm. which I suppose is the ultimate interplay of, you know, the imagination of an artist and his art or mm-hmm. the imagination of an engineer and his art. But it's almost as if what, what Hayao Miyazaki here is tying his work down from the symbol to the concrete reality. Yeah. That he, like, like the engineer embodying his, his completed plane, finally, is trying to, to anchor his project and say, listen, when I talk about fire titans that can destroy you in Nausicaa, or when I talk about a floating island with lasers and technology destroying people, you are not to think of this as simple metaphor. We have done this to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's not a, so much a direct indictment, but a direct representation, finally, of what he's been addressing his entire career and precisely to whom he's addressing it. He's addressing it to his own people. It is yeah. the Japanese who failed um, uh, in that case. He is, he, is, he is representing his people as they are, 
And he is trying to show as one of their premier conscious artists exactly what it is they've been so that in clearly observing who they have been in the past, they can have a clear path towards who they wish to be in the future um, mm -hmm. is what I think I see in this and being just that clear about it. I think it's uh, possible. Yeah, I mean, it does seem pretty applicable to every country though right like like yes, it's, of course. it's not just italy and germany and japan but also uh, clearly the american audience is yes they, yeah, certainly we we, we can get every lesson from that there's no doubt there's no doubt yeah yeah and i mean just yeah go on sorry <laughs> well just conspicuous by its absence is the the atomic bomb as well like right. i think at least as watching it and thinking about how how many instances of things like that appear in the Final Fantasy games, for instance, right? Like, yes. it, there's this kind of um, uh, obvious illusion to that sort of that sort of yeah that sort of disaster of of ultimate technological power used for um, callous and like basically destructive ends. Um, yeah, right, right. I would agree that all cultures share in that responsibility but that this this is a specifically i mean that this could be this this work can apply to all of us i think but i yeah. like that he is a japanese artist addressing directly at least a japanese yeah. audience um about japanese history and showing his clear perception of their place within history as well um and so yeah, that it, it it anchors it as you say it it brings some of the fantastic elements into a more recognizable like reality, um, a more immediate kind of connection um, is, is posed there. Yeah. Right. And, you know, almost because since he has less time to say things um, <laughs> and it's, it's most important that people get what's being said here. Um, and, and also just that, just that for <laughs> perhaps the things that, during times of war we think are least important are what are at all times most important. Like the little vacations with our friends and the shared meals together or the offering of something to someone poor who has less than you or the singing of a folk song with a friend or of flirting in French with a girl who knows the same poem as you or, or, or uh, playing around with uh, a, just a little plane that these, hmm. with these artistic endeavors, these things that seem like flights of fancy, that uh, perhaps it's, it's in these moments, in these moments of play or, or, or in observing these, these works that were produced by play or the imagination that we, we get some sort of message from nature about who we are, that it's not just us coming up with fake things that we say that uh, in order to amuse ourselves, but maybe if we thought a little deeper, we might say perhaps these stories that are not real amuse us because there is something real about how we connect to each other that is exposed. Yeah. In this. Um, yeah. The, uh, th I think one of the more powerful scenes for me in this movie is one that is, uh, strongly like rooted in, in the particular Japanese culture, which is their um, wedding ceremony. Yes. At, when he's um, staying at the home of his boss um, and his boss and his wife are their uh, witnesses and sort of conduct the ceremony. And that's, mm. all, that's all the only people that are present um, because they've sort of eloped, you know, they're, they're doing yes. this in a, right. in a rushed a cultural. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that that is a, um, a quasi-religious ceremony, um, but one that's like perfectly suited to the exigencies of that moment. So it's got the ritual element and the traditional yes. element, but it's blended with right this modern um, present uh, in the in the frame of the story. Uh, I thought it was just like a s extremely powerful. Uh, there's a solemnity to it. There's a silliness to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's um, I think just very few moments in any of the films that we've been watching that uh, for me are quite as emotionally uh, charged as that one. Um, and, and her whole story, right? The, the thread of the story that involves Naoko, the, uh, the, her, her sacrifice and her sort of 
desire, right, to be an important part of his life, um, mm. is, I think for me, the most immediately like tragic or, or weighty element of, of the story because the historical stuff is there, but it's not, it's not played upon as much. The violence and things are kind of in the, in, in the side, uh, off to the side of the story in some respects. But she's, she's front and center for a while there. And um, yeah, it, I, found, I found it to be a really moving uh, part of the story. I, I wonder, I guess, how that part of it is received um, if, it's, if it's problematic in the same way that um, telling this uh, hero story about a, an engineer who designed um, warplanes, you know, is problematic. Uh, well, the thing, yeah, so the, the thing about that situation is uh, on the first hand, it's not pure. The ritual is not done in the most traditional possible fashion because of the exigencies of the situation which you explain. And so yeah. uh, they have to, the, the couple has to show that the spirit of the endeavor is still there though the manifestation of it is not going to be completely in accord with how some a traditionalist might want it with all the family present and not done at night and done probably in a temple or something like that. So they have to adopt the form of the institution to what you said is a new situation, which is sort of like what the artist always does, right? Depending on his particular medium and the look and style of his day, he uh, sort of sort of embodies and then art or represents and if in our case articulates a specific form that um that ties him back into the tradition which is actually what religare religion means um and so not only are they are they shooting are they changing something in a way to react to the moment and thus doing something new but they are they are also tying themselves back to a tradition that is as old as their culture. And so it's as if that is itself a representation of the artistic endeavor that you make something that is both the same and different mm -hmm. from that which has come before and therefore provide the opportunity uh, for the next artist mm. to do the same thing so that they can be both unique and, uh, and, and the same because of course, the idea of being an artist, I think that comes through quite poignantly in Hayao Miyazaki's film, especially in the dream sequence at first, in the beginning when he's alone at the top on the dangerous short or like thin edge of the, mm. the roof is that you're, you're terribly alone with your imagination and with your dreams, but that the fact that you can connect with those who have also been terribly alone because mm -hmm. of the dreams they had to manifest gives you gives you that shared that shared community which gives you the strength necessary to manifest um, the thing which you must sacrifice everything in your life to if you are going to be a great artist it is I I, I wonder I wonder to what extent because I don't know much about Hayao Miyazaki's life this this work also shows sort of a retrospective on the balance between an artist bringing giving everything to his project, especially with the, the notion that it will help his country and his mm -hmm. people, as opposed to, uh, to his family right. um, or, and, and those around him. I mean, that's something Hanjo seems to have very clear in mind, right? It's just simple to him. I'm getting married tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> Got to have a good family at home so yeah. you can work harder at the office. <laughs> right. right. That's highly right, conventional to the point of like, banality right you know so that's like the other extreme i guess um where where you're you're not uh changing anything about the um the traditional roles right you're trying to fit into it yes. sort of um uh lock stock and barrel uh oh something you said about the roof the roof right so that's where his um his little sister pops up and um he's like really annoyed that she's up there too. Yes, yes. So she's got this uh, dream to be a, a doctor, um, yes. which evidently lives out. Um, and that, you know, what could be more subversive, right, than having the, um, the, the female enter into such a, a high stakes um, uh, enterprise, right? So it's like, right. that, that seemed to me to be a kind of interesting uh, counter um, 
story to the the one of uh, of the woman who sacrifices herself simply as wife. Ah, very good. Wow, yeah. still representing like the train that has both traditional garb and new Western garb. That both roles in in specific contexts are appropriate. That yeah. what's most important is the nature of the person, and that yeah. one does not choose for say a political or social purpose what the nature of one's people are, but the the people produced at a level even deeper will have such natures, which I suppose takes some faith if you don't have, if say we, we don't, we don't have a test yet that tells us exactly what it is we're meant to do. Oh, you're supposed to be a great artist. You will produce 11 masterpieces. It's like, well, yeah. a lot of that is subject to our own will. But I think the important part of that and the important part for the sister of Jiro is that what she wanted to do became available to her. She, she, she was, like you said, in this time of progress, in this time of change, uh, able to use her new abilities that she had and that she could produce in that time in a way that a woman would not have been able to use them a generation before, possibly even just a few years before, which also sort of strikes me close to home because she would have been going to medical school at the exact same time that, say, my grandmother would have oh, been going cool. to medical school, who was one of three women in her medical school class herself. So very interesting seeing that not only the role in the use of the individuals, regardless of gender within the culture is changing, as well as their, their perception of other cultures, as well as their use of the designs of other cultures, just further and further evidence of, of sort of a, an underlying transformation across cultures within very similar timeframes with each other. Um, almost as if it is precisely when cultures interact with each other that transformation necessarily occurs. And perhaps that's the idea of the hieros gamos, or the holy, the holy, holy union between that which is unconscious and conscious. When your known territory comes in contact with the unknown territory of another people, magic, chemistry, hmm. reaction, because their unknown territory is going to mix with your known territory and it is either going to flood you or it is going to add to who you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and once the unknown has manifests, uh, has manifests itself like Voldemort, he who must not be named, you cannot ignore it anymore. It is at least named by its abnegation, um, uh, by its denial. The denial names it, you huh. might say. And so perhaps also the idea that's being put forth in this work is that this change is happening. We need to recognize it and understand where it is going and perhaps even guide it there. Because if it's happening, like any natural process, like a snake shedding its skin, it's, it's potentially the right thing to be happening. Yeah, yeah, the, the wind is rising, yeah. Yes. I, I think the, the context of that poem, I don't know like much about, but... It's interesting that it's um, this 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 line of French verse uh, that both he and and uh, Naoko um, know, and they take it uh, to be. It seems like kind of a, a joke at first, right? It's like sort of this um, again the, the example or another example of this this thing I keep coming back to of of the thing that's in itself like rather dark and. Um, um, serious or grave, but it's taken uh, quite lightly, and and it represents this point of of connection between the two of them, uh, sort of like their their little like a secret language between them or something like that. Yes, um, just like just like it exists with the other dream of his life, the, with the with Caproni as well, who also yeah. repeats that yeah. that 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 or those two lines to to him as well that. Well, that there is such an ethereal aspect to existence seems to be represented not only by the dreams that we see here, but also the the, the destruction and change that we see happen so fast, and the differing locales, and then the falling uh, a part of humans, Nahoko, in particular, that um, that there is a dreamlike or fleeting aspect to existence and and to story, and that. You have to sort of glom on to the story while it's there, and that's where the meaning of life is housed, even though in beginning any story, the story will someday end. 
beginning any relationship, whether it be with your own art or your best friend or your wife, that, that relationship too will someday end. Mm -hmm. And precisely because of that, the best thing you can do, which seems to be the opposite of what the dark side or say Voldemort or anyone who turns evil in a movie or in reality does is not to become resentful because of that in some Sephirothian way mm. or some Luciferian way, but to recognize that that means that how you treat people and how you embody your form in the present is the most, is the most important thing that you can possibly do because you ne never know what is going to happen next. War, earthquake, tuberculosis, and that how you will be measured as a person and or as whatever sort of person you are, artist or engineer or soldier, which we did get that role aspect, right? When the, yeah. the Japanese first visited the German, well, as an engineer, I'm just looking. Well, as a soldier, I am not to keep you on a company. <laughs> that um, what, what we can do, again, like what Shakespeare said about all the world's a stage, is that we don't control the situation we're in, but we can control how we behave within the role that dictates the best way to act within our specific situations. For soldiers, we can fight. For engineers, we can't choose that there's a war going on, but we can be good engineers. If we're artists during a time of change, we can't just try and reflect an old form of life that's gone, nor can we solely uh, uh, throw it out and adopt a new sort of art form that's totally new. We need to show what's happening in our own psyche, our own consciousness, our own culture. And even if it's ugly, and even if we don't like what we have to see, that's precisely, you, you have to recognize that there's poop on the floor so you don't step in it and so you can clean it up so that there is no longer poop on the floor. <laughs> Otherwise, you are just going to be walking through it or avoiding it while it remains there. Yeah. And you know, little progress towards having a non-poop smelling room will be made. <laughs> There's a lot of that in history. Yeah, a lot of history is, is looking and seeing all of, all of that there is to, to clean up, right? And Because guess, it doesn't get cleaned up yeah. without us recognizing and cleaning it up. I think that's, that movements forward in consciousness must be consciously chosen by individuals. That even huh. if something happened a long time ago or even a long way or, or distance away from us, that doesn't mean that that event is over in any respect or that the consequences have stopped manifesting themselves. And, that, and, it, and it certainly doesn't mean that we can't work to make a bad thing better in a small way. Um, and that perhaps that's what Miyazaki's, even when everything, when the wind is rising and everything is going to chaos, that is, that is precisely, uh, it is the opposite time than to make the excuse to just get blown away. That is right. when you stand firm. Yeah, I, I, it's, it seems like a very, in that respect, a very fitting departure and, and way to end or to kind of put a cap on his, uh, his career as an animator and a, a creator. Um, it's, I think, a particularly interesting to me, though, that he, um, he chooses to sort of to stop, right? He doesn't want to just keep going. And I think that kind of connects with what you're saying, right? Like acceptance of his own uh, diminishing powers or the imminent uh, uh, onset of the same, right? So he knows right. that he can't do this forever. He knows that yeah, it is- 10 good years in the sun. Yeah, right, the 10 years, the, dec the decade. Um, well, that's kind of what we're doing here, right? We're about seven months into what we're doing. I mean, we've been taking that very seriously. It's like we get a very limited time to do this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. going about it intentionally and with, with the attempt, right? Uh, it, one must try to live, right? That's, it's not something that just happens. Right? Yeah, right. As, you, as you described, you'll, you'll get blown away if you don't, if you don't try. You have um, to I mean, I just think, I think one of the most beautiful metaphors in the, the work is that, that um, let, me, let me get her name one more time so I can make my- No, go on, no, go go i don't know why i keep perhaps she's too beautiful to be encapsulated by too a many name vowels in a row for me uh, yeah those japanese names they're very good mitsubishi in particular i liked seeing mitsubishi and that there are takayama and I, I love yeah well interesting in any case that when she's painting the scene ah. so let me show you what i saw she was covered by an umbrella suggesting that 
there was something keeping there was something keeping her or culture safe through a thin veneer which was then blown away by wind or the forces of chaos which then exposed them to the forces of chaos as manifested through nature through a thunderstorm and that destroyed their perception of their situation manifested through the painting which is ruined but it is only the manifestation which was destroyed not the experience which is the most important thing it is just the current state of culture or the current work of art it is not the capacity to create culture or hmm. art tokyo i didn't expect it to be rebuilt so fast they oh, even yeah. say and, yeah. and when she says she like one of the llamas who wipe away the beautiful mandalas after they make them says it's not this physical thing that i i made it's the memory that i have of today that is so spectacular it was the experience with you and I think that is something that we're seeing run through these works tremendously, that it is the logos that we share with each other or the capacity to transform potential into actuality or, or to produce something meaningful new in the world, the capacity to, to, to create new art because things are always falling apart around us um, rather than to, to just preserve that which we have already created, though, of course, that's, that's important too, and a very important conservative thing that's done. It's literally what conservative means to save or preserve or to safeguard, but that, but that ultimate importance does not lie simply in what we have made, but in right. what we are making now. Right. Would you want to live in a world with pyramids or without? I found to be the most powerful question in the work because oh, yeah. obviously I want to live in a world with pyramids with incredible things in them. When I watch fantasy movies, I watch them precisely to see the things humans or any conscious creatures could create. And mm -hmm. it fills me with longing to make something great myself or to be part of something, which of course I think we are being in the internet generation, though we have very little claim to the success of that. Um, but that always to be kept in mind that the purpose of art and tradition is to produce the capacity to continue producing art and culture around ourselves in the current time not to always look to the past and think oh things used to be good in that golden age and we used to make art and we used to have good things it's like if you don't have those now it's precisely the time to make them yeah yeah right and that seems to be i think a, a pretty strong subtext in the film right is the the older creator right uh caproni uh and the and the young one um jiro himself you know uh, dreaming the same dream yeah that that the, the form of it will look different like his uh his herring bones are not the same as caproni's uh flying uh fortresses or whatever you know um but that they are sort of en route to the same uh the same distant uh destination um th that seems like something that i could see um miyazaki wanting to to impart pretty strongly in, in a in a final uh, let's all go commune gesture. together let's all yeah. watch and indulge and share in good things yeah. together let's go have some wine right. uh, <laughs> well i suppose as then the form of what we are talking about stays the same and changes uh -huh. um now moving from one medium movie to another video game but remaining mm -hmm. from the prevailing culture of japan Great. Um, and also changing our form from two to three in this case, adding on now Mr. the enigmatic Mr. Vincent Reese uh, <laughs> to let him in on his time in the light in the in the very in the very the very uh, let's say waxing though still weak limelight that yeah. we can provide. <laughs> I that, look forward to hearing. Yeah his uh his input here has he played this game before is he he, this he, he, he like me was very very deeply affected cool. by this for as a young person and for a very long time we had very many deep conversations related to carl jung and great books and final fantasy 7 <laughs> at st john's <laughs> so so i'm looking forward to distilling something of value out of all of that um and so, well, I guess the wind is rising 
Wes, what should we do? Uh, we, one must live, right? Uh, we must try to live. Uh, well, sounds good. Sounds good to me too. All right. Until next time, Miss okay. Wes Shanson, thank you for this is, um, this is, I think now the third project that we've, uh, we've finished on here. And the second one we finished together, we finished Harry Potter with Miss Sarah Miller together. And now we finish this project together as well. And it just strikes me that that's so important that in order to make a staircase to join two things together, you have to finish each, each step. So it's nice. Yeah. That we're adding these slowly, slowly along the way. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope that it's continues on building on up to something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, until then. Okay. Thanks again. Enjoy Thank Final Fantasy VII. See ya. Bye.